Hi guys, um, I just wanted to say a quick hello because I know it's been quite a long time since the last episode of the podcast was published. Um, t- for full disclosure, I have been struggling a little bit with my mental health, so some things kind of had to be in the back burner for a little bit um, as I focused on myself, but the podcast is now up and running. We have this amazing episode today with um, Charlie, and next episode we will have Olivia Krellin from PressPad, and she will talk a little bit about um, the internship and how it works, the internship that Galdon has running, and how all of that is going to work. So hopefully um, you guys will kind of stay tuned for the next episode um yeah so i hope you enjoy it today and thank you so much so hi guys welcome to feminized and today we have charlie from galdem um i love charlie she's been so nice to me every time i've like dm'd her about city and talking about um just kind of you know the issues in the industry and her and Galdem are doing really really amazing work and so I kind of wanted to bring her on the podcast and talk about it so hi Charlie hi um, so tell us how you decided to become a journalist sure um, so I think I decided to just properly decided to become a journalist when I was at university I was studying English literature at Goldsmiths in uh, South London and um, I've never been someone who doesn't like to have some kind of idea of what I'm doing next, I guess. Like I'm not incredibly organized or anything like that, but I've always liked to have some kind of project or like something that I feel passionate about. And so I started editing my university magazine and um, then the newspaper as well. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm doing journalism now. And then that was me just like, okay, set, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, So I felt very lucky that I, sort of wasn't thrown into that abyss that a lot of my classmates were at a university where they were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I was quite firm on that from quite early. And bef- even before that, I knew I wanted to be a writer of some kind, so journalism made sense in that trajectory. Um, and did you find it kind of easy to get started? How did you find it? That was, it, I mean, it is a hard industry to, to break into, so what were your biggest challenges? Um... The biggest challenge for me was probably just knowing what to do to sort of gain legitimacy. So I didn't have, although I decided decided that I wanted to be a journalist, that is a very, you know, that's a vague occupation title. Like you can go in so many different directions. So, um, yeah, I left university. I started working in a pub and I was staying in a property guardianship. Um, I don't come from like a background that has money, so... Um, I had to like figure out a way of staying in London, um, hence the property guardianship, because it's like, super cheap rent, but it's pretty gross, yeah. <laughs> or they can be pretty gross. Mine was, mine was okay, but there was a lot of mice. Um, and I was, I was working in the pub in the evenings, and then I would be doing work experience from time to time in the daytime, so like long shifts, just like put in the hours. Um, And then after that, it was just kind of like a rolling ball of things. Like, I was like, okay. So I found out about NCTJs, and I was like, oh, I should get one of them. Found out about different diversity schemes that were, like, aimed at helping young 
people of colour, minority people getting into the industry, applied for all of them, got most of them, like, and it was just that rolling ball that kept it moving, kept it moving. Um, and now I'm here, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. um, so do you think that there is kind of, if you don't come from a background that has money and that can afford to kind of just parade around London, do you think it's, it's really hard to get into, in, into the industry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, journalism historically hasn't always been a like middle class or upper class profession. Um, it isn't something that I think you need to go to city to get a degree in to do. Um, I did that because I was aware. At first, I, I did it because I got the money to do it um, through the Scotch Trust Bursary, but also because I was aware of the opportunities that it would like open up for me if I if I took that route. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, these days I I don't. I think it would be very, very hard if a young working class person was trying to enter the industry and they didn't happen to get onto any diversity schemes, win any bursaries, any scholarships. I don't know how, I don't know how you do it really. Like, uh, yeah, I, so when, after I, I did work experience and I was working at the pub, I managed to get an internship where I was working at a radio station that paid like nothing. I think we were down as, um, being stationary so they could like underpay us like it was like that's how they marked us on the forms um so it's like it was basically just like travel expenses like 400 pounds a month and i was still working at the pub and then during that time i think i applied for um i applied for the journalism diversity fund and um and they paid for my ncdj and just thinking back to that period of time i don't know how if I hadn't got that bursary, I was still working, but like, if I hadn't been able to cut down my hours, I don't think I would have qualified as a journalist, and then I wouldn't have got the job that I then got at um, the Hampstead and Highgate Express. And then if I hadn't got the job at the Hampstead and Highgate Express and proved to The Guardian that I was like serious about, you know, taking journalism, uh, you know, as a career path, then I don't think, because I, I applied for the Scotch Trust bursary two years in a row. Um, yeah, I don't think I would have got that. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know how it would be possible to, to enter this industry if you're from a working class background, unless you're literally willing to, like, work yourself to the absolute bone and not have any time to, like, breathe or sleep or eat. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really difficult. Um, and how was your experience doing the NSTJ? Um, yeah, yeah, the NCTJ. Um, the NCTJ was fine. It was useful in that I learned about media law. I learned shorthand. Um, what else did I learn? Do you use shorthand? No, I don't use shorthand. <laughs> As in, I could do it, but I would never hit 100 words a minute. That's it, yeah, 100 words a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I never hit 100 words a minute, so I'm not super fast. And I'm a really, really fast typer, so I can, I can just do that instead. It is useful, I'll say that. But it's not a necessary skill in our current times, especially when you have like, have you, have you used Temi before? It's this new like transcribing service. So if you have like a good quality audio, so where you're hopefully like when you're face to face, it transcribes it so accurately. Um, yeah, and it's like not very expensive, so I would recommend it. Yeah. Tips, guys, tips. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how was, because you know, when you do the Scott bursary, you mm -hmm. then have a year at the Guardian, right? Yeah. How oh, is no, 
No, you didn't. That was before my time. Sadly. Oh, that was before Literally your time. Oh, yeah. um, but did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy meeting people at the Guardian yeah. and working with them? Yeah, definitely, I did enjoy it. I so my first ever bit of work experience, like at all, was at, um, was through the Guardian's Positive Action Scheme. So, like, I think it's obviously because I've done so many grassroots schemes. I've like like won scholarships and like wouldn't be where I am without that support. Um, that's one of the reasons why I've always been so conscious about, or I like to think I've been conscious about giving back to the people who are coming up now. Um, but yeah, first bit of work experience ever. I'd never been to a local newspaper and magazine, nothing. Um, and I applied for the Positive Action Scheme at the Guardian, and that gave, gives you like two weeks of work experience, which I somehow managed to like do over like three years. So I like try to like keep my yeah. ins there. And I think from when I was like 18, and then I was like 21, I think, when I would have applied for the, the Scotch Trust bursary for my masters, and um, and so by that point I had made some quite good connections already. But having that, I think I had an extra month's work experience at the Guardian with the bursary, and uh, again that sort of cemented some of the relationships that I made there, and meant that you know things like the Galdem Guardian Weekend takeover uh, were able to happen. I think so it was good. Um, and do you think that kind of having those relationships and building those connections is kind of the key to really have longevity in, in journalism? I mean, I don't know about longevity yet because I'm still only 25. Um, but it certainly is the key to breaking into the industry. Um, and it's, again, it's like why you're on such a back foot if you come from backgrounds who, where like you don't have a parent who might know the editor at the Times or whatever else because not only do you not have the funds to like do work experience if you don't happen to yeah if you don't happen to come from money if you don't happen to get onto a bursary scheme um but you're also not afforded the same opportunities in terms of meeting people so i was able to sort of counteract that by doing the work experience because i was lucky enough to get the bursary schemes or whatever um and therefore, while I was there, I sort of made sure to go for coffees and like meet people. And um, Creative Access was really helpful for that. They like invited me to along to a few like BBC events, and I met people that way. And I always like was very proactive. And like, if there was ever a lecture at City, I'd always go up and ask a question at the end. I'd always like make conversation with people because although I hate nepotism, and I think it's like the bane of like all socially awkward journalists' lives, um, it's a hundred percent necessary because like. Even now, in a sort of editorial position, in the, in the editorial position that I'm in, um, it's just that very basic thing of like, if I'm thinking of someone to do a paid job, I'm going to remember the person who I had a conversation with about that topic who's expressed an interest in it. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's horrible and fake and everything else, but it's very necessary for being in this this industry. And also, I think you know, it's that thing of like. Even if you're not the most confident person in the world, which I'm certainly not, like, um, you need to push yourself to talk to people as a journalist. That's your job. You interview people like every day, or you should be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, use that that skill or develop and hone that skill by pushing yourself into talking to other journalists and other people in the industry who might be helpful in your career. So, for all of you socially awkward journalists, there is hope. There is hope of making it in the industry and making those connections. Um, and 
so obviously you went from doing all of those amazing things to then doing another amazing thing, which was was Galdem. Um, how did how how was Galdem born? How how did it become what it is today that we know? That's a good question. Um, so it was founded by Liv Little in 2015 um, when she was at the university, and she sort of collated like a group of like sort of drew in a group of like amazing women of color and non-binary people of color around her within Bristol, and then they started reaching out to people like me who are a bit further afield in London, and Manchester, and Scotland, and wherever else. Um, and so I was contacted in the summer of 2015, being like, "We read your article on Vice." Um, would you be interested in like, working with us? And I was immediately like, yes, because I'd been waiting for something like this, or I'd wanted to start something like this myself, but hadn't got off my arse, and you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, and then um, after that, it just, again, it was just like that rolling ball of like opportunities. We made them, they found us, we created more. Um, I started officially editing for Gaudem, probably, in early 2016, is my guess, and then um, started deputy editing last year, and then became head of editorial this year um, when we launched as an official business. Um, but it was it was born out of need. Um, it was born out of for for of, from my side. Um, the reason why I was so keen to get involved was because I was suddenly having access to all these newsrooms and like shitting myself, like being just like surrounded by all these very like eminent people um, and also realising that there wasn't anyone yet who I could relate to in certain ways when it came to like class and ethnicity. Um, so yeah. So do you think that um, you should really be, especially as a young journalist, looking out to create more of your own opportunities? So if you you know, don't necessarily see something that you would gravitate to or you don't relate to a lot of these the media brands or whatever, that you should kind of, you know, forget the conventions and the traditions and set out to kind of create your own path and do, kind of do things your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, as long as you're willing to be committed to it and do it well. Um, I've seen so many, like, nuggets of brilliant, beautiful ideas that are born out of that same need that haven't really gone anywhere um, and you do have to be prepared to put in a lot of time and energy um, but yes like if you notice a problem within the industry that you want to be a part of you should be doing everything in your power to try and resolve that issue I think um, and I say this all the time but it's why, it's why I get so frustrated when I have worked with journalists from certain backgrounds who try and explain to me that their absolutely only option of staying in the industry was like working for like certain publication who's like who ethically they disagree with and I'm just like that's not true and like you could have done many other things and do that or and you could have actually been doing something to actively change um, the problems that you see in the media but for them it's easy I guess it's easier not to when you're not directly impacted by them um, but yeah, I, I, I always said it as well, in, in for all these bursaries and scholarships and things, um, I always said to the like uh, interviewers that um, one of my main missions would 
would always be to like give back and so if, um, that's the one thing I'm like definitely proud of myself for doing in the industry so far is that I think um, I'm certainly on, on the path to giving back and giving a foot up to other people who might have been in the same position as me a few years ago. How um, hard was it to kind of turn Galdem into a viable business where you guys could, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it's probably a very loaded question, but you guys have done, I think, a really great job of kind of still remaining really authentic and people, like, it's, it's a, it is a brand, but it's a brand that kind of has gotten better mm -hmm. and not, like, worse. You guys haven't sold out to the big advertisement companies and been like all shady so how hard is it to kind of keep a brand going that you want to relate to ethically mm -hmm. and kind of make it profitable yeah it's really 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 hard and there isn't a simple way of um there isn't a simple way of existing within a capitalist society as we all do um Without, without operating with with uh, brands that, in a more global picture, you might disagree with some of their practices. I, I just don't, I don't know how it's possible. Um, so it's it, it is really hard to sort of um, to sort of choose who we work with and um, and like to develop our business model. We worked really hard on trying to make sure that it was as ethical as it possibly could be. Um, so that means that yes, we work with brands, but we lay down our rules very clearly about what we will and won't do for them and like what we expect from them. And, you know, we'll say no to brands that we, um, that we have ethical concerns over. Um, and then beyond that, uh, obviously Galdem at the moment is funded by investment as well. Um, and a membership model is really important to us because that would be the dream, obviously, if everything is funded by the readers yeah. and the contributors. But it's not, it's not like, it can't just be that. Um, but, you know, it, it, is, it is possible. Like, The Guardian turned over their first profit in many years um, with the help of uh, a very sort of, like, casual membership model. Obviously, that yellow yeah. bar at the bottom is a bit annoying, but, like, it works, so that's cool. And that's, like pleasing to see when like so many other sort of fledgling digital startups are shedding staff like nobody's business and closing down so um, yeah it's, it, it's difficult but we I mean Liv is very savvy when it comes to business so it's Marielle who's our head of like commercial um, I think her official title is head of uh, brand partnerships and strategy I think um, and yeah, like thankfully on the editorial side, although I was I've always been contributing to everything, of course, what Gavin does over at least the past year. Um, thankfully, like it's a pretty like seamless process when it comes to editorial and commercial. Like commercial would never ask editorial to do anything we were uncomfortable with or we felt like ethically like concerned about and it's like very much like a back and forth process and a lot of the things that we are asked to do or that we pitch to brands like it's good content like it's some it's things that we'd like to do anyway and so do you think that the fact that you guys are all kind of friends and you all kind of get along and there's that camaraderie do you think that it, that really kind of has 
has made everything easier. This has made the process just easier of getting things done. Or do you find that because you guys are friends, sometimes there's that whole like, you need to get this done. I know you're my friend, but like, get your shiz together. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean it, there, there's a lot of us, so it varies from like relationship to relationship. I think um, at the moment the team works really, really well together. Um, there's no conflicts. Um, we try to put in as many processes processes as possible that like no one will feel that they're sort of like alone in Galdem. Um, Liv and I are like really good friends um, so that's helpful and like we do we like ask and expect things of each other but we're also able to like maintain a friendship and a relationship outside of that. Um, so yeah, it's all yeah. smooth at the moment. <laughs> um, and how did the Galdem takeover come about because it was first of all it was amazing content like you guys it was so good mm -hmm. and that must have taken such hard work so many hours I can't mm -hmm. even imagine how you go about it so do tell us how do you go about it <laughs> um, so for the takeover um, so we first started talking about it in December of 2017 and then it came out in August of 2018 so it was like a long period of time where we were discussing how it was going to work, what it was going to look like. It was kind of, I think, the first time weekended and anything like that. And it was maybe the second time that we'd done an editorial project of that scale. Actually, no, the first time we'd done an editorial project of that scale outside of our own print publication. Um, it was pretty seamless, to be honest. Like, there's, there's always back and forth with writers, edits, decisions to be made on, like... Um, on any content that goes into any publication, but they're a well-oiled machine, and we kind of, I think, slotted quite nicely into that, um, and it, we left it on a real high, um, and I was really pleased with the diversity of the content that we were able to get into into weekend. I thought it was a real good representation of like what Galdem is about, um, and like why our mission is so legitimate. Um, it's just so clear that like uh, there is a place for women of colour and non-binary people of colour in the media and that was like a big splashy statement. Yeah. Um, putting like you know, putting something out into the world um, in sort of the first the first of its kind takeover by our demographic. So yeah, I was really proud. Um, and you guys have an internship now, which is so great. First of all, you guys are collaborating with PressPad, which I just think is amazing. I think all internships should do that. Um, have your own experiences kind of interning and doing work experience in London um, mold your you know, decision, your kind of desire to just be like, okay, we're going to take care of our interns, we're going to pay them properly, we're going to make sure that, you know, they're not living mm. on the streets. Um, so, obviously, it must have um, had an effect on that. Yeah, definitely. So, the internship was, like, again, like, came from this very, like, <laughs> real, recent, raw place of uh, knowing what it's like to be an intern at, um, at uh, media agencies, publications, whatever else. Um, knowing that we, what we don't want to see and and very carefully curating something that hopefully will really help um, a couple of, I think it should be about five young people maybe six um, young people in the course of um, the next couple of years um, 
to sort of achieve their dreams and, and becoming journalists or more on the commercial side. Um, and yeah, so we thought about things like the, the wage that we were going to pay them, like it had to be a decent wage that they could live on in London, a living wage. We thought about um, the fact that at the moment the media industry is saturated within London and if you were coming from up north or down south or wherever basically, really hard to like come here for like, especially for the short period of time that internships and work experience usually are. So we were like, we'll work with Presspad to like help with rent and try and organise a sort of discounted rate, get them mentors. And then beyond that, just like how the internship is formatted is really important to me because I spent, as this sort of like socially awkward, anxious um, person, uh, I spent a lot of time in newsrooms feeling very uncomfortable, very useless, crying in the toilets, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I am, um, at the moment we're sort of planning like what they're going to be doing, making sure they never feel like they're not part of the team, because um, they will be. Um, and just, yeah, just like making it a really positive experience where they get loads out of it. Um, but it's been really hard to choose because <laughs> there are quite a lot of applications. So. Were you expecting to receive the volume of applications that you did? Uh, yeah, I was. I was expecting to receive a lot of applications because I know how in demand um, internships within this industry are and also that we were offering more than um, a lot of other internships are. So, um, yeah, payment, like a plan, rent, like... Um, yeah, I think a plan, literally a plan. Yeah. All internships just want a plan. Yeah. Interns, plans. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And it's such a basic thing, and I'm just like, when you're hiring an intern, like, firstly, they should never be a substitute for another member of staff, like, and, yeah, secondly, like, yeah, just, like, a little bit of a plan, like, you know, making sure they have someone within the... in the... In the um, office who they can turn to if they ever feel uncomfortable or like they have nothing to do and just yeah like giving them very clear a very clear awareness of what their duties are as an intern um, it's important for like people's self-work self-work rather um have you had um now that you've you know there was such a positive reaction to the mm -hmm. when you guys announced it and the way you were structuring it have you had other media organizations kind of reach out to you guys and be like, so how are you uh, getting this thing then? No, 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 no reach outs um, from other media organizations that I'm aware of. Um, but we, we have reached out to other media organizations because we did have just so many good people who, the applications we sifted through, um, and we wanted to show them that there are other options out there, so we sent them a list. Um, the people who sadly didn't um, have applications taken forward we sent them a list of, um, of bits and pieces that we thought might be helpful and um, have tried to give as much like personalised feedback as we can towards them as well. Which is amazing as well because no one usually really gives you feedback yeah. on, um, on internship applications. Um, so what is the future of Galdem? Like, what would you guys kind of... I know that this is the most um, awkward question to ask, but like, what is you guys' five-year plan? Um, we're gonna take over the world, baby. Um, no, um, we're gonna hopefully go global at some point, as in like have offices elsewhere outside of London. Um, but for me, it's every step of the time. At a time, I want to improve the quality of our editorial output. We're working on a new website. Um, there's a few sort of like big 
secret things that we can't talk about that we have planned for next year. Um, we're going to improve the quality of our print magazine. Um, I just want to make sure that we are doing our absolute most when it comes to representing our community, uh, continuing to like diversify the media industry, giving, giving a voice to people who otherwise um, would struggle to be heard, um, which sounds simple, but it's not. Uh, do you ever, so um, I read this interview with John Stewart a while ago where he was talking about doing blind recruitment but then realizing that regardless of blind recruitment women just weren't applying. So are you guys ever aware of, you know, we're lacking in this type of voice, let's seek it out so that we have a balance or do you just kind of wait to see what comes in and um, what people are pitching or sending and then just kind of go from there? No, I think um, I think I'm always I'm always thinking about that. Like uh, in terms of what we publish on the site and trying to make it not skew to one or the other. Thankfully, we do get a real diverse range of people who pitch in uh, to the magazine. Obviously, it's difficult to tell things like income and class from pitch. Like, and you can't really ask these questions up front. Although you can sometimes sense it from the topics that people write about. Um, when it comes to race, like the spread is pretty, pretty good. Um, I would like more non-binary voices on the site. Um, non-binary people of colour. Um, I think we're pretty good with like queer representation, LGBT, uh, QI representation. Could do more when it comes to, again, like tra trans voices. Um, would love to have like, yeah, more uh, trans people of colour writing for us. Um, yeah, the, these are all things that I'm always taking over in my head and yeah, just like reaching out to like commission those types of people when I can and um, yeah when it comes to staff again yeah we're very conscious of like how much we can do internally and who we need to like hire to um, to achieve what we want because like we kind of need to be the pinnacle of like uh, of a good spread of people because of the like because of our remit so and do you ever like feel um, kind of the burden of doing the right thing like all the time does it ever come to have you ever just come to a point where you're just like I really just want to like do like a brand deal and get all this money and not have to worry about like no, <laughs> no not me personally I don't know about Liv and Maz I don't think they would say that either but no because um, this is like for me like a core part of like my identity like I was like one of those weird kids who has such strong morals about everything and like I, I remember my teacher being I was like it was a stupid like math it was a maths question and I don't know what it was trying to I think it was trying to prove to us that there are like definite answers in life so if like one plus one will win equal two or whatever um and so the question she was asking us was like um will you learn to drive a car when you're older or something like that and I was like um, oh, she was always, always something along the lines of like, do you think you will ever learn to drive a car? Um, and I was like, no, I will never learn. I will never ever learn. And she was like, but you can't say that for certain, can you? And I was like, yes, I can, because like, cars are bad for the environment, and I don't ever want to, you know, learn to drive and like kill the, the people and the birds and the trees because cars are so bad. So I had these from when I was very young. I had these like very illogical like. <laughs> I'd made very logical decisions about what is right and wrong, um, some of which were based in good things, others were, which were not. Um, but for, yeah, from when I was 
a teenager certainly I was always aware of the negative impact that a lot of brands, fashion brands, magazines, publications had on particularly like young young women because I could see it around me and like how my friends felt about themselves, felt about, felt about their bodies, what was like lacking when it came to like conversations around like gender, sex, race, um, history. Um, so it's never been an an option or a question to like um, to just like fuck it all and like work with X person because they're um, offering a good deal and yeah that sort of obviously like you don't always you're not always aware when you're doing a bad thing but I'm always trying to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and so you guys have cool things ahead. Mm -hmm. You guys have cool things planned. Um how do you kind of decide the commissioning budget? I feel like that's something that's mm -hmm. really interesting because there are so many outlets who kind yeah. of expect you to like just pitch and they are like, yeah, we'll give you like 25 pounds for like a thousand words. Yeah, um, so we have set rates which are lower than like, um, lower than like uh, standard, like as in like, uh, lower than like The Guardian um, who for like, season hacks would be like they pay a really low rate anyway um they probably i think at the moment it probably sits around 10p a word but we have set rates for each type of content um this is bearing in mind that we are absolutely tiny fledgling media outlet who weren't able to pay ourselves or anyone <laughs> up until um up until Mar um, yeah march of this year um hopefully those will increase over time um but i've thought very carefully about what the rates are, what they should be, and what's feasible. Um, the commissioning budget is the by far, I think, our la our largest outgoing actually um, on the editorial side of the company, and possibly even across the whole company. It's a huge amount of money to uh, keep our content flowing, like in a way where people feel like they're coming back to the site and getting a new thing every day. Um, I think the, one of the reasons why we can kind of justifies paying slightly lower rates than um, than big media organisations as A, we're small and we're a startup, but also because we work with a lot of very young writers and people who went up and published before and we spend a lot of time going back with them on edits and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, Which I think sometimes can be worth more than getting paid, especially when you're just mm -hmm. starting out to have an editor that kind of takes the time to just be like, okay, you need to work yeah, on this, on this, on this. It's a, yeah, it's a constant struggle, isn't it? Like, I've, I've done, obviously, through Gaudem, I've done a lot of work for free. Um, I've done a lot of low-paid work for various publications that have more resources than Gaudem does. Um, so I just hope people are sort of understanding of uh, the rates. I, and I think because also people that write for Gaudem have, like, a very specific thing in mind mm -hmm. of the brand that you guys are and the content that you guys make. So I think that when people kind of pitch even if it's at a low pay it's like yeah I pitch because I want my work associated with them because of I their values so. I hope so but yeah yeah we'll see how it goes I mean, you know every now and then we'll get someone who's just like I'm sorry that I can't work at that rate which is totally fair and just um yeah hopefully if we continue to flourish um in a few years we'll be sort of rivaling like the guardians pay or something so Charlie had to run off and continue to change the media industry for the better with Galdem. Um, so this was, it was a bit of an abrupt ending, 
but as you heard hopefully um if you are a non-binary person of color if you're a trans person of color um a member of the lgbt community pitch to galdem they really want to hear your voice and they are such an amazing brand and doing such amazing work um it's definitely worth it to take the time out and pitch to them so yeah um thank you for listening and like i said in the beginning the next episode is going to feature olivia crullin from press pad bye